0: Psalm 23. <clears throat> and out of respect for the Word of God, would you please stand? Psalm 23. Word of God, let us hear it today. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Thank you for standing. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father, how thankful we are that you are our great God and that you do all things well. And we thank you for your love to us. We ask now that you would help us, strengthen us, and give us everything that we need. Glorify your Son. Encourage your people. Lord, magnify your spirit. Hear us and grow us is our cry. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. David has confessed as well as professed that he has one shepherd whom he has identified as the Lord, the great Jehovah. He is not ashamed to admit that the self-existent one, the self-sustained one, and the self-sufficient one is his guide. I'm repeating these words purposely because we need to keep a firm grip on the truth that all of our needs is found in Jehovah. We need to let that sink in. If it doesn't sink in, if we do not have a firm grip on that truth, then we will be looking for our needs and our eternal salvation, or satisfaction really, elsewhere. <clears throat> if there's no looking up to the Savior, <clears throat> the Great Shepherd, then there could only be two options either a looking inward at self or looking outward. To society. You have no other options. <clears throat> Everyone in this room will choose one or the other or a combination of both. Everyone. <clears throat> if we don't see our satisfaction, our eternal sal- satisfaction, our needs to be found in the shepherd. We will give our affections to things that really do not satisfy. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. <clears throat> David is not embarrassed to say that he's a follower of the living God. He's not lifted up in himself to think that he is too advanced to be led by someone else. He has a mindset that he may be shepherd in Israel, if he's the shepherd at the time, that he may be shepherd in Israel, but when he sees himself as in relation to Jehovah, he sees himself as a sheep. Because of his dependency on his shepherd, he doesn't see himself as lacking anything. The shepherd has proved himself to be worthy of dependency. Because of his confidence in his shepherd, he fears no danger. Why? The shepherd has proved himself to be a great help even in the valley of darkness. So, since the Lord is his shepherd, he has all that he needs green pastures, quiet and still waters, divine guidance, and intimate and real presence, even in darkness. And God does this for his name's sake. So we have seen David owns his shepherd to be none other than the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah himself, the great Yahweh. He spoke of how his shepherd has provided for him as well as protected him. David knows what it is to be in danger. He's been in combat with a lion, a bear, and even a big giant. He knows what it is to be in danger. At every turn, even when it seemed like all strength was gone, the shepherd has helped him. He has not allowed him to be crushed at any moment. I recall when I was going into my senior year of high school, I'm preparing for my last football season. I was sent to my uncle's house. He lived in Central Florida area. And my uncle is uh, an interesting man. He's the the biggest uncle that I have. He's about 6'5", 300 pounds, a solid 300 pounds. And and I was sent there so I could work out and prepare for my my last year of, of sporting activity. And with my uncle, it's very interesting with him. He determined how much you would lift, and so I would get down on the flat bench, and and and, and we had to work out at six o'clock in the morning. And then I had to work out in the evening when he came, when he got home from work. And so I would get under that 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 bar we call it the weight bar, and I would lift it. And then when I started straining, my uncle would say, "Give me one more." And with my uncle, one more never meant one more. And as I would come down and struggle, coming up, my uncle would do something unusual. He would take one finger, and he stood over me, and he would put it in the middle of the bar. And I would push it up. And then I would come down, and I would struggle a little more. And then my uncle would now use two fingers and place them under the bar and say, give me one more. And I wanted to put the the weights on the rack. And he would take those two fingers and I would push them. And then I would come down again and I would struggle. He said, You got to give me one more. And then he would remove his fingers and put one hand under the bar and another hand on top of the bar. And I would push. And my uncle would pull. And it seemed like I had a lot of strength going up but I really didn't have it. It's the fact that when I was pushing, my uncle was pulling. And what seemed like a real burden to me once I had my uncle's help seemed pretty light. Now, why, why am I saying this and using this particular story? It's the reason why I'm using it. My uncle would say to me, I'm with you. I got you. I'm with you. I got you. I'm with you. I got you. And even when I thought I didn't have any more, he said, one more. I'm with you. I got you. I'm with you. I got you. And I got the weight up, but I didn't do it by myself. And so it's the same way with us, brethren, when we're in the valley and we think we just can't push anymore. See, my uncle is what we call in weightlifting a spotter. He would spot me. So in the valley in the valley of the shadow of death, in the valley of darkness, when all our strength seems like it's gone, I want to tell you that there's a spotter in the valley. Someone when you can't push anymore, the Lord will put one finger under it. Let you lift a little more. He needs to give me one more. And then you're struggling a little more. He put two fingers under it. He said, to give me another one. And then you're still struggling. And then you put his hands into the bottom and one hand on the top. And you think you can't do it anymore. And you realize I can push it up. But the real burden is not really on you, it's because the Lord is pulling it up. As you push, he pulls. And David has this experience in the valley. I'm not in the valley by myself, I have a great helper. I have a great Lord, I have a great shepherd that when I am even struggling, I have one alongside say, I'm with you, I got you. I'm with you, I got you. I'm with you, I have <clears throat> Hope I don't do this all night, but I might. The one, <clears throat> excuse me. the one thing that should grip us my brothers and my sisters, that when we're overwhelmed, God can lead us to the rock that's higher than we are. But the one thing that should grip us is the fact that the shepherd on the mountaintop is the same shepherd in the valley. That's clear in the psalmist's mind. This passage Assures us that the shepherd does not change, listen, with changeable circumstances. Are you still with me? The shepherd, circumstances may change. We may change, but the shepherd does not change with changeable circumstances. He's constantly the same. The passage actually lets us know that the shepherd is not like human beings. Stick with me. Stick with me a little bit. He's not like human beings. You know, friends, friends would, would tell us, you know, they will be with you through thick and thin. And then when things get thick, they get thin. The Lord is not like that. He's constant, consistent. He's the same. He's not changing. One bit. That's the kind of friend you want. Sticks closer than the brother. Here, the psalmist finds himself, not on the mountaintop, but in the valley. Here, described as the valley, the shadow of death or darkness. But if you have been following and reading closely, the psalmist has not once, listen, complained why he's in the valley. It's right there in your Bible. Not once. Not once. Now, do we have other portions where there's a complaint? You just don't have it in Psalm 23. Not one complaint from the psalmist while he's in the valley. He's not griping with the shepherd. He's not doing it. We don't find any questions being asked in the text. Not one. Not one. We don't hear, why did you lead me here? Not at all. We don't hear, why is this happening to me? Not in the text. We don't hear, why is this happening now at this point in my life? It's not there. We do those type things, don't we? Tell the truth now. (laughs) We do those things. As a matter of fact, nothing in the passage indicates that he is upset with God at all. Nothing. Please listen carefully. The text portrays the psalmist to be Just as encouraged in the valley as he was on the mountaintop. it's right here before our eyes. Just as encouraged. (sighs) Don't miss that. I need to let that sink in. I think there's a simple reason for that. The psalmist really loves and trusts the shepherd. I think that's the reason why. He believes no matter what, no matter what, the shepherd has his well-being at heart, regardless of the circumstance. Maybe, maybe he's so elated with the thought that his shepherd really loves him. Maybe, Maybe that's what it is. He's so elated, overjoyed that the shepherd really loves him. There's no complaint. Maybe he's come to the place where he believes the shepherd is preparing him to be a better sheep. Maybe that's what a psalmist is. Do you believe the shepherd would do something like that? Send you through a valley to prepare you to be a better sheep? He will. He does. He would put us in situations. Listen, he would put us in situations so we can become better and not bitter. Whatever the case may be, the psalmist says, the shepherd is with me. And he's making preparation right before my eyes. Verse 5 is where we are. So we come this evening to look at the shepherd as preparer. Shepherd as preparer. It was said by the late Gardner C. Taylor. When he was asked, how many points should a sermon have? He said, at least one. So all I have is one. <laughs> the shepherd as preparer. That's the title and the heading. Verse 5. Thou prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Question we have to put on the table. Who's making the preparation? Remember, he talks about the Lord. I'm bringing that back. Verses 1 through 3. Verse 4, he begins to talk to the Lord. Verse 5, he's still talking to the Lord. <clears throat> According to the text, the one who's making the preparation is the shepherd. You, thou, you preparest a table before me. <clears throat> the one who has caused him to relax in green, overflowing pastures. The one who has led him to quiet, still waters the one who has nourished his soul, the one who has led him in the right path is the one making the preparation. He is in the dark valley, and I love it, making preparation. (laughs) This is really overwhelming. God, the great shepherd of the sheep, had him on the mountaintop, Leading him, guiding him, and in the valley, he makes preparation. We have to ask, what is being prepared? We have, he's the one making preparation, but what in the world is being prepared? The text tells us it's a table. That's all it tells us a table doesn't tell us what's on the table, under the table, or around the table. It just tells us it's a table. Here, the table could refer to a piece of furniture on what you put food on or spread it over, or it could refer to some animal skin you, you put on the ground and you, put, you place food on. Speculations all over the place. Some scholars suggest that this is a Thanksgiving feast or some other type of festival. I don't know. This may just be more of a picture than anything else. He's talking about the Lord as a shepherd. You follow me? (laughs) Kind of metaphorical if you will look at it that way. He's described himself without saying it, but implies it that he's a sheep, but he's not talking about a four-legged animal. Could be a picture. One thing is clear. The shepherd and not the sheep is setting things up. That's clear. It lets us know that it's the shepherd's table. I just don't, it's the shepherd's table. He's setting it up. It's almost, when we come to the, we could just jump ahead a little bit and just place this in the New Testament. When we come to the Lord's table, it's the Lord's table. It's not my table, Brother Jeff's table, or anyone else's table. It's the Lord's table. He sets it up. He determines how you come to the table because it's his table. It's just the shepherd's table right here. It's not the sheep's table. The sheep made no preparation. Do you see that in the passage? No preparation. The sheep made no arrangements you listening? The shepherd took the initiative in the valley. The shepherd is the preparer, if you will. He's the one in charge. He's the organizer. He's doing it. You'll notice something else. He's not consulting the sheep on how to prepare the table. Is that in your Bible? He's not consulting anyone. The reason being, can I repeat it? It's because it's the shepherd's table. He doesn't need to consult anyone. This table. A question was asked, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? You remember that question? It's right over in Psalm 78, around verse 19. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? What kind of question is that? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? What kind of questions are these? Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? God just brought them out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He brought water out of a rock. Let that sink in for a moment. They're in the wilderness. They're in the desert. God brought water out of a rock where there is no water. <laughs> you don't get water out of a rock. He had no tapping tool, no back hole, no anything. And he brought water out of a rock. Psalm 105 said, flow like a river. Can you imagine the scene? Can he put A table in the wilderness? God brought, see, sometimes I think we read miracles, man, we just read right on by them and keep going and stop without pause and say, Wow, ah, oh, you did what? (laughs) I, I ask crazy questions. So, Lord, how did you do that? And I come to the conclusion. I don't know how he did it, all I know is that he did it. He brought bread out of heaven. You go to Publix, you go to Walmart, you go to the bread store, you may bake your bread, but God brought bread out of heaven. <laughs> Maybe I should say it a different way. He didn't contact Sarah Lee. Didn't get in touch with Betty Crocker. Didn't call up Paula Dean. He had no training in culinary arts at all. None of those things. Yet God brought bread out of heaven and put honey in it. There are no bees in heaven. Where you got the honey from? Oh, maybe I'm the only one excited. <laughs> but this is how God working. Can he prepare a table in the wilderness? God brings I just bring, he brings things out of unexpected places. No one would ever expect Oh, what is this? It's not snowing for sure. Food from above. From heaven's bakery. Not only did God bring bread out of heaven, God also brought quails into the desert. You know there are no quails in the desert. You do know that, don't you? God brought bread from heaven, water out of a rock in the desert where there is no water, and quails into the camp. Here y'all, chicken sandwich you want. I know it's quail, but they say everything tastes like chicken, right? Can he prepare a table in the wilderness? The psalmist answers that question right here in the text. He answers that question with a high resounding Yes, <laughs> yes. Not only can the great Jehovah furnish or prepare a table in the wilderness, he can prepare a table anywhere. Anywhere. Even in the valley. You believe God can do that? Do you believe that God can make provision anywhere? Doesn't matter where you're located. Do you believe God can make provision anywhere? Or do you think that you have to be in a certain place for him to do so. Question? Another question it must be asked. <clears throat> My friend, there is no lack in God. There's no lack in God. Do you hear me? God will bankrupt heaven and put angels on half ration to take care of his people. No lack in him at all. <clears throat> Now, there's another question that we have to ask. Not what is being prepared. Wherever the table is, if it's a feast, whatever it is, God is making the preparation. But we have to ask another question. For whom is it being prepared? That's the question. It's right there in the text. Thou preparest a table before me. Before me. It is prepared by the shepherd. Seems to indicate it's prepared for the sheep. The shepherd doesn't need it. It's prepared for the sheep. It's similar to the Lord's Supper. It's prepared really for us, right? For our encouragement, for our nourishment, for our reminder. Why would he have to give us a reminder? Because we're prone to forget. That's why. We find in this text that the shepherd is still shepherding, even in the valley. He makes provision in the valley as well as on the mountaintop. He's still caring for the sheep. He's still doing it. It doesn't matter how dark it is. He's I'm still caring. Prepare us for the sheep. But there's another question. Not only... What is being prepared, or for whom is it being prepared? But well, look at where it's being prepared. <laughs> I tend to think sheep is still in the valley. Why would I say that? I say that because it said, Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. I'm tell you, it's danger in the valley. I think it's still in the valley. And I say that because I have some maybes. If I ask the question, why would he prepare a table in the valley? Why would he even do that? If it's in the valley, right, why would he do that? Why would the shepherd even do that? We need to continue. You know, he's he's. I'm walking through the valley. I'm not here to stay, but I'm walking through, meaning there's a destination somewhere. Why do you prepare a table in the valley? The text doesn't tell us, does it? So I'll give a couple of maybes I have. Maybe the shepherd set the table to reassure the sheep of his love. Maybe that's why it's in the valley. Why would I say this? Because sometimes when we are going through dark valleys, there's a tendency to doubt God's love. That's why. It's that tendency. Does God really love me? (laughs) We think God only loves us on the mountaintop. But he has no love for us in the valley. No. I think... It's to reassure the sheep and I love you as much in the valley as I did on the mountaintop. We wonder, we wonder if we're honest, we wonder where is God when we're going through things? Where is God? The psalmist said, oh, it's not time for you to work. Keep not silent. It's good prayers. We tend to wonder, where is God? See, our views of God show up in the valley. That's when they show up. Get your real view of God when we're in the valley. In the valley, sometimes we feel as though God has abandoned us. We need to have the spirit of the Apostle Paul found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. When he said, we're we're, we're perplexed. we are perplexed. Not, not only are we cast down, but before that, we're perplexed. We don't even know sometimes how to think right. We don't even have the situation sized up right, but well, we're still holding on to God. Even when the situation looks hopeless, we shouldn't lose hope. Our views of God show up in the valley. We feel as though God has abandoned us. We wonder if God's concern for us has diminished when we're in the valley. We forget. We forget. Yes, we do. We forget passages like, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. In the valley, you're not thinking about those passages like that. You just want to get out of the valley. You just want it to be over with. It's not moving fast enough. That's how we're thinking sometimes in the valley. Lord, where are you? I'm in the valley. Don't you see me? I'm right here. Do you see what I'm going through? Of course. God has 24-7 eyes, remember? He doesn't miss anything. I love you with everlasting love. Therefore, with love and kindness have I drawn you. We tend to forget these things, we tend not to think about who can separate us from the love of Christ in the valley. That's, these are the things we need to reflect upon. <laughs> when we're going to think, we need to reflect upon the goodness of God, not simply the badness of our circumstance. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Distress? Persecution? Famine, nakedness, peril, or assault—Paul's been through these things. He said, Man, "I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten. i i listen. I've been some of everything. Some of everything have happened to me. But I can tell you that no one can separate me from the love of Christ." Hey, people. If we didn't have this assurance, I can tell you right now, we would not keep going. It's easier to quit i going to keep going. He said, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day, all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, and all these things we are more, not just conquerors, more than conquerors. How? Through him that loved us. He comes right back to the love. What, what, what is Paul saying? I think he's really saying just one thing. Jesus loves us. We can rest in that love, and we are victorious through him. Something else I think is interesting here, real interesting. The shepherd is so bold that he can set up the table. It's right there in the text, right before the enemy. That's a bold shepherd, man. Look at it, for thou prepares the table before me. In the presence of my enemy, I'm not taking you around back. I'm doing it right here. Enemy of his children. Guess what else? It's obvious from the text. The enemies can do absolutely nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not because of the sheep. It's because of the shepherd can do absolutely nothing. The shepherd sets up shop. I'm so bold. I'm so confident because it's God Almighty. Not only am I the God on the mountaintop, but i show you what I do. I set things up right before your enemies, and they can do nothing with you. Absolutely nothing. But it's not because of you. It's because of me. He says something else here. He addresses the the enemy. Israel had a lot of enemies, a lot of enemies, a lot of enemies that wanted to do them harm. And as we read through the Scriptures, we see Jehovah show up in in incredible ways. How about when the men went up three times a year? Who's going to take care of the women and the children? Don't worry about them. Enemies won't do anything to you. You just go up because I told you to. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Jacob, Laban came to Jacob, but before he came, God said, listen, I want to tell you something. Be careful how you talk to Jacob. (laughs) Jacob didn't know about the conversation. God said, "Uh, be careful how you talk to Jacob. What you say to Jacob. What you do to Jacob. You better be careful. (laughs) Laban shows up and says, listen, man, I want to do something to you. But God said I can't. <laughs> That's a shepherd. I want to do something to you. I really do. But I've got warning. I've got warning. Oh, man, we read our Bibles. Don't we read our Bibles? Do we believe it when we read it? Oh, we think it's fiction, fairy tale? God can keep the enemy at bay. He can set up shop right in the presence of our enemy. David had an enemy by the name of Saul, and no matter what Saul wanted to do to David, he couldn't, no matter what. That's because David had a shepherd, a great shepherd, and he understood he can dodge I don't want to be dodging javelins, but he can dodge javelins. But when he dodged the javelins, David didn't attribute that to his own strength. He said, You saved me out of the hands of Saul. He understood. I may be ducking, but God is helping. Not only does the shepherd prepare this table. In the presence of the enemy. Wow. psalmist says, But he anoints my head with oil. Anointing of the head was customary for guests when they were welcomed to one's house. It was a sign of kindness and hospitality. It showed that the one being anointed was special. Are you still with me? He was special. She was special. We we have a picture of this in Luke's gospel. A Pharisee invited Jesus over for a meal, and something strange took place. A woman in the city, which was, the Scripture says, a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with their tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Stick with me. Now, when the Pharisee saw this, he spake within himself. You know those conversations we have with and ourselves, that no one else hears except the Lord. He spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. I love Jesus' response. He's talking within himself. You notice thoughts, the words going in the mind, but no one hears And Jesus, because of who he is, said, "Um." let me say a few things. (laughs) See, Jesus uses all moments as teaching moments. We should do the same thing, even with our children. Moments as teaching moments. That's what he's doing. He's not simply just relaxing at a Pharisee's house. He uses every moment as a teaching moment. Jesus said this, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, the one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. Good call. That was good. And he turned away from Simon to the woman. Now watch his conversation. Look at the t- Listen to the teaching moment. And he said unto him, this is Luke chapter 7, he says unto her, says, a, <clears throat> says unto Simon, actually, turned to the woman said unto Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. And thou gavest me no water for my feet but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head thou gavest, thou gavest me no kiss but this woman since the time I came in have not ceased to kiss my feet see the custom was they would have a, a big pail of water by the door and so you would grab a towel and you would wash the guest's feet before they came in and not only that you would also kiss the guests because they were special. It was a rabbi, you sometimes kissed them on top of the head, on the cheek. He said, I came in, no water for the feet. I came in, no kiss on the head. But he didn't stop there. My head with oil thou didst not anoint. But this woman has. Anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Teach it a moment. If you've been given forgiven much, you will love much. She didn't mind spending it all on Jesus. But Simon the Pharisee, no affection, no real welcome of the guests. Remember, you anointed someone because he or she was special. That's what this woman did. Jesus is special. What a rebuke. What a teaching moment. Simon, you love little, or you may not even love at all. Jesus used that moment to teach not only humility, but love and sacrificial giving upon himself. He says, so you'd anoint my head with oil? And then something else is interesting here. My cup runneth over. Not only do you prepare a table before me, it's your table, in the presence of my enemies. I'll be satisfied just with the table, but I'm overwhelmed when I see it in the presence of my enemies. You also anoint my head with oil. Wow, you treat me like I'm special. Because the sheep is special to the shepherd. And the shepherd also special to the sheep. He said, the cup runneth over. The psalmist concludes this. In other words, it's running over literally means it's overflowing. He has abundance. The fact that it's overflowing shows that the shepherd is not stingy. (laughs) I don't know any other way to put it. It's overflowing. It's running over. I just don't have a cup full. It's running over, all over the place. It shows that the shepherd is not stingy at all. He wants to overwhelm us. We have to ask, oh, before I say that, the shepherd is willing to lavish upon his people abundantly. But I have a question. You may it help me. What would be in the cup? He said, My cup running over is running over, but he doesn't tell us what is running out of the cup. What, what, what? You just question, you just find how I rack my brain sometimes. Some of these things we probably shouldn't ask, but hey. I am whom the Lord has made me. What would be in the cup? Well, it could be this. Um, I think, suggest wine or something else. But I, I, I am going way out in left field or right field, but I'm going on one of these fields. I think the overflowing... Portion of the cup is the Lord Himself. That's what I think. I'll tell you why. It's because He does not refer to the table as His table, but He refers to the cup as His cup. Stick with me. I didn't say my table, the Lord's doing the preparation there, but I am saying my cup. Okay, Clarence, what in the world are you talking about? I'm talking about this right here. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot, Psalm 16, 5. I think the overflowing is the shepherd himself. I have more than enough. It's overflowing. It's the shepherd that I have in the valley. Right? In the midst of my enemies. That's why I have no fear. He's overwhelmed with the shepherd. The shepherd loves him so. And we have to come to the same place, I think. We have to come to the same place. Lord, i serve you on the mountaintop, and I'll serve you in the valley. This shepherd is... The psalmist portion and the shepherd is also, listen, the sheep's portion. Same thing. Where God's inheritance and he's ours is mutual. <laughs> he has me and I have him. He's laid hold of me and I've laid hold of him. He's walking with me. And I'm walking with him. Psalmist saying, I have no fear because I know who my shepherd is. Let me just go a little further because the clock is not working in our favor. The Lord God had promised that he would shepherd his flock. He's promised that. Listen to it. Therefore, will I save my flock. I'll deliver them. And they shall no more be a prey. And I will judge between cattle and cattle. And I will set up one shepherd over them. Listen carefully. And he shall feed them, even my servant David. Now when he says this, David is dead. And David has been dead a long time. Even my servant David, he shall feed them and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. It's a promise a shepherd, a David, a king, one shepherd, not two, three, four, five, one shepherd. It also means one fold. Sound familiar? That, that sounds like John chapter 10, doesn't it? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Other, she- other sheep I have, them also I might know. I must bring one fold, one shepherd. God has made a promise that he was sending a shepherd and he did. He faithfully has fulfilled his promise in sending his only begotten son into the world. The word made flesh in order to live for the sheep as well as live among the sheep. That shepherd would die, as you know, for the sheep, rise for the sheep, ascend for the sheep, pray for the sheep, and one day return for the sheep. That shepherd would do that. Oh, my brothers and sisters, brethren, we ought to be like the psalmist when he said, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? We have to have that kind of resolve. We have to have that kind of boldness. And we can have it when we know who our shepherd is. We can. Valley or mountaintop. We ought to be able to say like Micah the prophet, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, listen, the Lord shall be a light unto me. That's why he can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And fear no evil. And Paul <clears throat> preached in the city of Corinth. Because the shepherd is always with us. He preached in the city of Corinth. The Jews opposed his teaching and spoke reproachfully. But the Lord had a word of consolation for Paul. It's the same word you and I need. It's this. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision Be not afraid. But speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee. What else do you need to hear? What else do we need to hear? I am with you. No man shall set, but that would have been enough, but the Lord went a little further, Acts 18. He went a little further. He said, no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. Paul was among enemies. Everywhere. He said, No man shall hurt you. Why? Because I'm with you. After Paul heard these words, he stayed there for 18 months. You think, man, listen, I already got opposition. I'm gone. And that's what we do sometimes. We have a little opposition. I'm not going over there anymore. I had a little opposition, man. Maybe someone said something to me out of the way. They don't for tell. I'm gonna just kind of, kind of shake the dust off my feet. I'm not going back. Paul stayed for 18 months because the Lord said, "I'm with you. No one's going to do anything to you." I got much people in this place. They need to hear the gospel. Sometimes, sometimes, listen. Sometimes, all one needs is a word of encouragement that God is with him. That's all he needs. He'll march forward, march onward, looking upward when he has that word of assurance. Ever come in a situation and and talk to someone, they're going through something, and you just say something that God has already said? said, you know what, yeah, you're right, I know that. But see, we don't think about those things when we're in the valley. And we should. We should. We don't abandon God in the valley. You need the Lord in the valley. We should. Let us remember our time is here. Let us remember that unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. Because the Lord is gracious, full of compassion, and righteous. We have the Lord's light even in the midst of darkness. The Lord has promised to be with us even in the midst of darkness. Let us not read Psalm 23 and just think of the psalmist. Do you hear what I just said? Let's not read Psalm 23 and just think of the psalmist. Yeah, that was David. No, you need to think about yourself. God is with me no matter Wars and rumors of wars going on. Threats of World War III. We have to still think the same way. God is with me. He's my shepherd. And if the shepherd was willing to die for the sheep, the shepherd can keep the sheep. And he does. He keeps us by his almighty power. He has sent the comfort of the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us and to conform us to his own image, changing us from glory to glory so that we would constantly be sheep walking with the shepherd. May the Lord in heaven help us to do so as he prepares things even in the presence of our enemies. Let's pray. Our Father, how thankful we are for your goodness to us, your love and your kindness to us. Thank you that you are indeed the great Jehovah, a great shepherd to the sheep. Forgive us when we doubt that love when things are not going our way. Forgive us when we question you, we gripe and we murmur and we start complaining. Lord, we at times don't even reflect on all the goodness that you've lavished upon us all the good things you've done for us, all of the situations in the past that you've brought us out of. Forgive us when we respond like the children of Israel. Can you now prepare a table before us in the wilderness? God, help us, we pray. Help us to be focused upon you and faithful to you. Strengthen us to love you more. Hear our cry now. Hear our plea. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. All <clears throat> oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Oh, who hath been his counselor? Oh, who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. God be with you till we meet again.